you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Hey church, it's awesome to uh, be with you here this morning. This morning we're doing our left and right series and we're tackling race relations. And so I thought I might reach out uh, to one of my mates, Lonnie, uh, who I met here at Ridley College and he's introduced me uh, to his cousin Terence and I'm just um, so pumped to have met these guys. And I've had the opportunity to, to chat with them um, over the last two weeks about uh, their experiences being Christians and Aboriginal fellows. Um, it's been awesome. They're over in the SA. Uh, uh, Lonnie, Terence, welcome. Uh, huge city on a hill, welcome. You can assure, be sure that everybody's clapping for you. Thank um, you for having us. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, kick it off. Um, Lonnie, what has Jesus been teaching you uh, about in the last couple of weeks, let's say? The last couple of weeks, the Lord has been teaching me how to serve. Mm-hmm. Like teaching me, giving me this deep, He's lately he's been giving me this deep conviction on how to serve our younger brothers and sisters out here in the community, not just Christian, but also learning to serve and love one another. Mm. You know, Jesus demonstrated the act of, Jesus demonstrated the act of love and humility through his, through his ministry as he was going, as he was going through his ministry, right? Mm. And like, like, like when I see like a young community, like when I see the community, the overall community, like I just like this thing just says up in my heart. It's like, oh, Lord, Lord, these people really need to feel your love. Yeah, and that that's just been stirring me up, man. So yeah, <laughs> yeah good. Stirred to serve is a is a is a good position to be in. Hey, Terence, um, this morning, uh, yeah, we're at church. We're going to be talking about um, race relations and particularly around Indigenous Australian and uh, uh, the tension that is there often politically. Uh, in your experience, it's a big question, but how do you feel about the claim that Australia is a racist nation? Just coming to Australia's races, you know, it comes to a question of, you know, do you think it is or not? Because a lot of us from the country, you know, we experienced that, you know, growing up and our family experienced that, our uncles and aunties. And so when it continues to go on, you know, we it becomes normal to us. But growing up as, you know, just half-calf or, or mixed blood, as most people will call us, you know, we experience two sides. You know, sometimes we experience from the non-Aboriginals and to the full-blood Aboriginals because we're not, you know, very fed you know, or dark-skinned people. Mm. And so when you grow up like that and you experience two sides, you know, coming to that question, is Australia's racist? You know, we could say, well, we look at two sides between that. And it's a very hard question to ask because sometimes as Aboriginal, you know, we can have issues amongst each other. And then when we look at the non-Aboriginals, it's very hard to, you know, keep that, question to a straight of limit of what we can say because end of the day it's a uh, you know, sin you, mm. know, you know through that hatred that's what kind of brings it towards people yeah well it's a good call it all stems from sin that's um that's wise hey Lonnie what are you excited about uh that is happening amongst Indigenous Australians uh, at the moment I would say the the work through the outback in the communities, like in the remote communities, like we've been hearing a lot of like transformation, like these revivals that's going on. And um, mm. we have, we've actually got like, we're hearing that full communities are actually coming to God. And that is something that is amazing. Come on. And another thing also is that 
another thing also that God is working. He's always working, like always. Mm. <laughs> He's working through the urban communities as well. Yeah. And um, they're slowly starting to. And the one thing that we really pray for about the communities, the urban communities, is that God softens the hearts of the mm. Indigenous people here. Yeah. Like all around the country. Yes. Come on, that's good. Hey, uh, Terence, just to kind of wrap this up, you know, you and I, the three of us have been speaking for ages, but we, we thought we might just give uh, the church a snippet of what's been happening. So can you share uh, for the church any ways that we can be praying for you as a community? First, you can just keep our young ones in prayer, the young Aboriginals, even those who are Christian. Just pray that um, you know, more ears will listen, you know, because um, it is a struggle for us sometimes to you know, to reach out to our own young Aboriginal people because it can be more, you know, violent or it can be more of an of a attack because we're young just like them. Mm. But also just keep the young Aboriginal leaders in prayer too because, you know, there's not, not a lot out there and so we need more leaders to come out there, you know. Yeah. It's not much. And us as young people, it really troubles us in our heart because we, we pray and ask what, what can be done, you know. But we pray that more people will just continue to keep us in prayer, keep the young ones, that the young ones will not fall into the world but also, you know, come to Jesus and that we'll continue to go out and pray. Well, we'll absolutely be holding you both in prayer. Uh, we love you. We're thankful for you. We are our brothers and sisters in Christ with you uh, um, and just know that we're in your corner and we would love to see you one day uh, at East. Definitely please drop in and say good day. Uh, so I love you guys and we're going to sign out. All right. God bless. All right. Thank you. See you guys. You're listening. Uh, we're going to be starting in Colossians chapter 3 and it's going to be starting from verse 8. So it's Colossians chapter 3 starting from verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Speed of God. Sorry, just having a bit of mic pack trouble. Hey, Sion Hill, it's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, for those who I haven't met, my name is Pat and I was the uh, guy who was just speaking on the screen. Um, I had a great time chatting with uh, Lonnie and Terence. Can we put our hands together for them again? Um, I set up a 15-minute interview with Lonnie and his cousin Terence came along, and an hour and a half later, uh, we were still chatting, and I just had a blast. We spoke a couple of times over the last few weeks, and they um, were just amazing. Uh, I asked a whole bunch of stuff to do with uh, Christian ministry, but also to do with uh, race and culture. I asked some pretty confronting questions of them, and they were incredibly vulnerable. They really put themselves out there. They didn't owe me the answer, hey, how do you feel about racism in Australia? That was a real gift of grace from them to me, from them to us. So I want to say from the bottom of my heart, boys, uh, if you see this, we thank you so much. And um, yeah, nobody owes us answers about their trauma and about their experiences. So I just wanted to honour uh, that they did a, an amazing job for us in doing that. 
So today, um, I had an amazing time researching and reading about this topic. Uh, we're in race relations. This is continuing our series in left and right, the, the topics that we as a church voted on to discuss, uh, and I love that we picked uh, race relations, because race relations is something that's really close to my heart, something that I'm quite uh, passionate about and I'm interested in, and I had a wonderful uh, and emotional time reading and researching about this topic. It was really good, and, and I you know, just want to say thanks again to people like Lonnie and Terence, but other people who also bared with me and, and heard out my questions. Um, so I'm going to ask for your trust that uh, you trust me that I have read widely and talked deeply with people on this topic uh, as we uh, kind of come to what the left and the right say about it, which isn't actually that different. Now, today to think about race relations as a church, we are going to briefly look at uh, the left and right uh, of race relations, but specifically in light of Indigenous Australians, okay? The breadth of this topic is huge. You could talk about Black Lives Matter movement in the US, we could talk about uh, Asian Australians or, or anything we wanted, but we're going to specifically focus in on Indigenous Australians. Uh, so as we do that, would you please pray with me before we get into it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the time uh, to come to your word and see what it has to say about race. And we do pray for the tension in the rooms that uh, this is a big topic, this is a very personal topic for a lot of people, and I just want to praise you again for the work that Lonnie and Terence are doing out in the communities, and we do honour their request, we do pray for their young ones. Uh, we pray that they may have godly men and women who uh, are raised up and modelled uh, to walk with you, and we praise you for the, the faith of their aunties and uncles who have gone before them, who have encouraged them in the walk with Jesus. Uh, we pray that you may be uh, reaping a great harvest out in, in the communities of South Australia, and please use those men to do that. And so all these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. So many of you know, but for those who don't, I grew up in a uh, small mining town in the Northern Territory called Nulumboy. Now, for some context about how small Nulumboy is, we used to call Darwin the big, beautiful city. Now, the population of Darwin was at the MCG last night. Okay, the population of Darwin can fit in the MCG. So the population of Nulumboy is 1,500 people. It was tiny. And so we lived in Nulumboy, but we spent a lot of time in Urukala, which is a community just outside of it. Uh, my parents worked with the people of Arnhem Land. The people of Arnhem Land are um, an amazing group of people. So in, in my class, it was about 50% uh, Aboriginal when I was growing up. But growing up, I wasn't referred to as a white boy. I was referred to as Balanda, which is Yungamatha for white. So the people of East Arnhem are the Yungal people. My mum worked with Yungal women in a women's centre, the place for education in both Western and traditional ways of life. So they would do things like English courses, but also they would learn Yungamatha. And they would do traditional ways of cooking, basket weaving, uh, foraging, a whole bunch of different um, uh, kind of traditional practices, and it was just amazing. Uh, I think there's some pictures of uh, me hanging out on the beach, uh, talking with some Indigenous women. This was my preschool childhood, and I just loved it because I got to go with them hunting animals, collecting wild honey, mud crabbing, uh, fishing, talking, cooking. It was just a blast. It was a great way to spend the preschool years. Uh, my dad worked for the government in Indigenous health, and he did a lot of research into the disparity between Balanda and Yungal health. Uh, he, so it wasn't uncommon for us to be hosting people in our home. I think there's another photo of me and my four siblings sitting on the couch. Uh, 
it wasn't uncommon for us to be hosting people from Indigenous communities in our house and as well as being hosted in Indigenous communities by Indigenous peoples. Uh, I loved my childhood growing up on community. It was amazing. It was a great first 10 years to spend our life. But it wasn't all roses. I, was, I saw and was part of some harrowing realities and, and heartbreaking stories that I saw in the NT. See, one of my first memories that instilled itself when I was really young is I saw a young man being slammed against a concrete wall by three white bouncers at like two o'clock in the afternoon and having the lights kicked out of him. It was awful and he had a whole bunch of racial slurs put on him and I spent years digesting that moment with my dad and talking about what had just happened. I saw insane levels of poverty, people living in houses that were just had half a roof, rabid dogs everywhere, disease and sickness that instilled a hopelessness in people. It was awful. I listened to my white mate's parents blatantly talk about how if they were picked for jury duty and it was a black person, it was a guilty verdict no matter what, they didn't need to hear the case. It was just guilty, move on, save the system some money, lock them up. When I got my first job at a clothing store, I was told explicitly by the manager to follow black kids because black kids steal. When I went out to celebrate with my football team and we went to our local pubs that we always got into, if we had our Indigenous mates with us, guess what? We couldn't get in just because. Or I heard wrong history being spouted by the mouths of white Australians about just lies about what was here before colonisation and what wasn't. Although it might not be written out in policy, there are many different experiences of living in this country. I have seen firsthand that people are treated unfairly due to the colour of their skin. It's just a fact. Racism exists in Australia. And full disclosure, my dad was a raging lefty. He like loved the Labor Party in the NT. And he thought, he looked at the space that they were doing in Indigenous advocacy particularly, and he wanted to be a part of it. He went whole hog. But one thing that I, a gift that I got from my dad was how to learn how to relate to the other side of politics. Because one of the best, my best mates at school was a kid named Luke Scullion. And there was a tension because Luke's dad was a guy named Nigel Scullion. And Nigel and dad couldn't be further apart politically. They were the total opposites of the aisle and they would argue about it all the time. See, Nigel ended up running for Senate in the NT and he won and he, rep he sat in Parliament from 2001 to 2019. He was Minister for Indigenous Affairs under Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull, and I think Scott Morrison for a time, whenever the coalition was in Parliament. See, Nige and Dad ended up becoming really good mates. Great mates, in fact. In fact, when my dad passed away, Nigel was the guy that drove his coffin to the funeral. They loved each other. They had respect for each other. They had admiration for one another. I have such clear memories of waking up to loud voices at like two o'clock in the afternoon and seeing Nigel and Dad like screaming at each other, arguing about how to best love people at two o'clock in the morning, how to best love Indigenous Australians. And this, I think, is the key. They both loved people. It's not like Nigel hated First Nations people because he was from the other aisle. He owned businesses with them. He lived with them. He talked and walked with them just like my dad did. See, these two men, Nigel and my dad, had a heart to see people.
people flourish, but they came at it from incredibly different angles. They had different opinions about how to make it happen. I want you to know that just because someone has a different opinion on how to make it happen doesn't mean that they're wrong. See, we bring so much baggage to the ballot box. We bring experiences, education, or lack thereof. We may have read deeply on one issue and be totally ignoring another. Maybe we've only read deeply on one side of the solution to that issue. When it comes to race relations, it's just so complicated in politics. Incredibly complicated. Whether it's the Uluru Statement and the upcoming likely referendum that we're going to have to vote on. Maybe it's the call to change Australia Day that you hear time after time. Maybe it's the treaties being drawn up between the state at the state level. These things are complicated with complicated implications. They're issues that demand of us nuance and critical thinking. We need to slow down and think of them. None of them have a simple solution fix. My recommendation from the top is for us all to breathe, to pray, to pick up a book, to make a friend, to have a conversation, and to keep that conversation going. And because we're a church, the very first book we're going to pick up is the Bible. But why are we looking at the Bible and race? Why aren't I just continuing to interview a large swath of people? Why aren't I just continuing to talk about my experiences in the top end? Because we're a church that upholds Scripture as God's Word, like the historical church that's gone before us. We believe that on all matters, we need to keep the Bible open so that it informs all that we think and what we do about every issue that we're faced with. I find this quote by Tim Keller really helpful. He says, Next to sex and gender, the subject of race is the most discussed topic in our culture today. Storms of rhetoric and conflict swirl around it every day in politics, the arts, business and the media, and especially social media. It is natural and right for Christians to speak in these conversations out of their personal experience. But since we believe that the Bible has the right to interpret our experience and to critique every culture, we must look at it as our final authority. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a look at the Bible, starting in Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. So let's look at creation, race, and value from the top. Now, throughout this series, we've seen this passage from Genesis pop up repeatedly, so I encourage you to uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 1. We could probably all recite it, uh, but it's just so crucial for us understanding the value of human life. So let's read. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, image bearing, the reason why we keep on coming back to this, is because image bearing has amazing consequences that drip into absolutely every single part of our lives. It's it's where we get the incredible value that we give one another as a human being. See, atheist philosophers like Yavul Harari and Peter Singer, they constantly are having to debate where in their worldview does equality come from. 
Harari argues that the concept that all humans are created equal is too inextricably intertwined with the idea of creation, which is at odds with atheism. He states that Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that souls are created equal before God. However, he continues to argue, if atheists do not believe the Christian misrach about God and the Christian views about souls and creation, what does that mean that people are created equal? Harari lands on the point that they're not. Peter Singer suggests that people are not equal. People are equal, but only as equal with every other species on earth. For Singer, not all persons are humans, and some humans are definitely not persons. An adult chimpanzee can exhibit more self-consciousness, more personhood than a newborn infant. And so, Singer suggests, in his worldview, if you come across a newborn infant with no family or support, and a mature chimp, and you can only save one of them, you might be under more moral obligation to save the chimp. See, both Harari and Singer, they speak, they articulate a reality that others are too nervous to mutter that Homo sapiens have no natural rights, just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. They are right that if you take away the creator from creation, then equality is either a misnomer or misapplied. You see, Genesis 1.26 claims that we're made in the image of God. That's where you get your value and that's where you get your rights from. And if this isn't true, then there is no evidential basis for equality and rights that I've ever seen. But the Bible is true. Genesis 1 does exist and it does tell us about the worth and value of human life. It tells us that God didn't just make our souls. He made our bodies. He made us. He made us black. He made us white. He made us Asian. He made us brown. And our value doesn't come from being any one of these races or colours. It comes from being image bearers. See, Genesis tells us that we're all image bearers of God, the one who made us with a thought. And it tells us in this passage that we have God stamped on our hearts. We are created by the Creator and there is beauty in every single one of you, just like in a sunset or a sunrise. You see, logically, if you do not believe in a creator and everything is just a random act of natural process, then when you see a sunset or a sunrise, it is illogical to find that thing beautiful. But if you think that there is a creator and a sustainer behind the whole universe and that a sunrise or a sunset is his beautiful artistry, you look at it in a very different way. It has value inherently. Likewise, if you hold the belief that we're just a random series of of events that evolve differently, then you potentially just look at people as either potential partners, a group of friends to kind of protect you, or someone to fight. But if you look at people in this room and around this country with a Christian lens, you see the creator behind the peak of his creation, humanity. And you see inherent value that flows out of that person as they are designed perfectly by God. One of the books that I read whilst I was researching on this topic of race relations was Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe. It was really helpful. I was so challenged by many racist assumptions that I myself still carry. 
but he tells story after story of early interactions with white people and the use and abuse of those white people on the Indigenous Australians who called this land home. The horrible justifications that we use to displace people, at times shockingly, in the name of Jesus. And all I could think about when I was reading was the fall. See, when we humans turned from loving and serving God to serving ourselves, the result was immediate alienation between persons. We see in Genesis 3 where man was pitted against woman, man against creature, humanity, division between God and his image bearers, everything went wrong. And this alienation quickly escalated to violence in the following chapter 4 as Cain kills Abel, showing the severity of sin, showing that sin has entered the world and that murder and injustice from human to human had entered the scope of human history. You see, church, sin affects every single part of our world. It affects us as individuals and it affects us as big groups. It affects us in our home life and affects our nation's life. It creates division and disparity between culture and class. In Australia, we see the effects of the fall. We see the effects of sin being played out on First Nations people through a number of incredibly sobering statistics. These statistics are related to health, education, justice, safety, housing, land access, rights to worship, and language. There is a huge gap, a huge gap, church, between those who are black in Australia and those who are white. There are far higher rates of incarceration amongst Indigenous people in every single age bracket. There are far lower levels of education. You're far less likely to have a home to live in that isn't overcrowded or subject to domestic violence. And of course there is the tragic disparity between life expectancy. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are less likely to have a baby that's born at a healthy birth weight. Still today, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians are expected to die 10 years earlier than their non-Indigenous friends. To bring this home, a woman that my mum used to work with, one of her best Indigenous mates, Gumrich, died a couple of weeks ago. And when mum told me, I was pretty shocked. I hadn't seen Gumrich in like 10 years, so it's not like we had a a great relationship. But Gumrich and mum worked together talking about their faith, their life, to other women in the community, and she was always a delight to be around. She was an incredible artist. And it felt in my heart like she was too young to die. She was only a few years older than mum. But statistically, she passed away when expected. And this, for me, is just tragic. And it's worth thinking, what if your life expectancy was 10 years less than you think it's going to be? What would that mean for your family life? What would that mean for your career? What would that mean for your hope of becoming a grandparent or a great-grandparent? See, these are these questions that we just don't need to think about unless something tragic happens to us. But for Gumrich, this was expected. See, we can't look at these statistics and these differences and say that everybody has the same starting point in this country. It's just not true. This is the pain These are the realities of the lives of the people who have written the Uluru Statement. And I really encourage you that if you haven't read it or if you haven't listened to it, go and read it or listen to it. 
And when you do, hear it as a cry from a group of people who have this life expectancy, this trajectory for their life and for their children's lives. It totally changes the way that you listen to it. See, for many people in this country, they just face a hardship that you and I just might not. This is a cry you can totally understand from people who feel hamstrung, let down or ignored by a system or government. And it would be easy to hold our head in hopelessness at this point and just say, it sucks when we're thinking about these realities. What can we do? But Scripture, as we keep reading, it doesn't allow us to think that. So let's turn to Colossians 3, which was our Bible reading, to look at redemption and race relations. Redemption and race relations. Have your Bibles open with me, whereas we'll read it in a minute. But one of my favourite songs growing up was a song called Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. And it turns out that Jeff Buckley didn't write that song. Uh, He was inspired to cover it after hearing John Cale sing it. And it turns out John Cale didn't write that song either. He was inspired to cover it after it was originally written by Leonard Cohen. See, it's a song that's been covered by artists time and time again throughout human history. It's a beautiful song. It can be easy for us to look at some powerful movements of race relations that we are seeing today. Those advocating for racial equality, whether here in Australia or in other parts of the world, it might seem like they're the first to ever come up with it. But the call for us to be one unified body, beautifully intertwined in race, is a song that has been sung since the first century. At times it's been sung incredibly badly. But the harmony, but Christians have sung this song with beauty and harmony since the letter to the Colossians. Church, the call to put away racial differences is absolutely a Christian song. Read with me in Colossians 3, 8 8 to 11. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all and all. So Christ is all and in all. In the fantastic book of the Colossians, Paul is writing from jail to the Colossians about how to defend themselves against false teachers and those who might impose stricter rules about eating and drinking and festivals that they should practice, going above and beyond the teachings of Jesus. Paul instructs the Colossians in the right way of living and where their focus is to be this side of heaven. That's what the whole book of Colossians is about. And throughout the letter, he keeps on pointing them to Jesus being the creator of all, the sustainer of all, and above all. And in chapter 3, we see Paul encouraging them, not only in Christian character, as we see in verse 8 and 9, but to do away with their old ways of sinning in verse 10 and remembering the new self which they've been renewed in by the Creator. And that's when he gets to the most amazing, amazing, earth-shattering line in verse 11. And because we're immigrants to the text, we're reading it 2,000 years later, it's hard for us to understand the insane gospel work that has been done, that has been done to race relations in this insanely small line. You see, the Jew-Gentile divide was deeply entrenched at this time. And Paul double-clicks on it. He says, Jew, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised. He then turns to the class of slave and free. And this is radical in a world where one in three people were likely to be slaves. 
But it's worth noting that in this context, slavery is unlikely to be based on race and more likely to be based on class. Nevertheless, Paul's inclusion of these, uh, those in servitude was incredibly countercultural. But our mistake would be to just focus here and not on the barbarians and Scythians that are often overlooked in this passage. You see, the Scythian people were a group that were located along the northern coast of the Black Sea. To the Greeks, the Scythians were a violent, uneducated, uncivilized, and altogether inferior people. You see, at different points of Jewish history, these people would be feared or outcasts. They were a huge, scary group of people, and no one wanted, nobody wanted anything to do with them. If Paul was writing to Australia today, he might say something like this. There is no black Australian or white Australian, no Asian Australian or brown Australians. There is no rich or poor, immigrant or native born, but Christ is all and in all. Rebecca McLaughlin, I can recommend anything that she reads. She says this, uh, right, sorry. Love across racial differences isn't just a modern progressive ideal. It started as a biblical ideal. Interracial love is part of our inheritance in Christ. And when we refuse to love across racial, racial and cultural differences, we're tearing Jesus' beautiful body apart. I can't agree with her more. The New Testament paints a picture of a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-gifted church that loves across barriers that others can only dream to because of Christ Jesus. I was so struck when I was chatting with Lonnie and Terence at the, 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 when I was talking to them, I felt more known and more loved by them than when I'm talking to my non-Christian white neighbour. And why? Because they share the same affection for Christ that I do and him for us. I know what is going on in their heart when they pray. And they know what it is like for me when I pray. The same Holy Spirit that is in my body is in their body. And when I realized that, when that clicked, I just couldn't get the smile off my face. Church, this is the reality of everybody that calls on the name of Jesus. That is why when we look around this room, we see fantastic ethnic diversity, and I love it. It makes me beam. But if we're ever to refuse love across these diversities, we are doing a disservice to the name of Jesus. It's a sin. If you're here today and you don't call yourself a Christian, I pray that this, you see that this community is open for you, no matter who you are. Jesus came and died for you. He understood that if you try to press on alone like you are right now, then you can't make your relationship right with God. You need help. You need Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't call you to belong to a homogenous community, leaving your race at the door. No, he invites you to bring it in and express your race to its fullness. Yep, our church is an English-speaking church in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. There are a lot of white people here. But please know that around the world right now, the most amazing harmony of praise is being sung right now to the name of Jesus. People from all across the world are calling Jesus their Lord in different amazing languages and cultures. Christianity is a faith for all nations. It's salvation for all. Trusting Jesus, you see, allows you to be the fullest expression of yourself that you can ever be. 
In Jesus, you can be fully known and fully loved. You can be the absolute pinnacle of your race in Jesus. Jesus came for the redemption of your soul, that you might have fullness in him, that you might be united with your creator and perfectly redeemed in him. He broke the tension of the fall, the downwardsness and the despair that it brought on. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, I'd love to invite you to do one of three things. Firstly, either come and chat with me at the end of the service. Secondly, chat with the person who brought you here. Or thirdly, just keep coming to church. We would love to have you here. Uh, You're always welcome to come into our church and check out what we're talking about. We would love to see you anytime. But church, as we wrap up, what are we to do? What are we to do as City on a Hill East with race relations, how do we move from what we've been challenged by today? See, the, ten- the tension of this series is that we're going to want to do something likely every single week. And so I thought I might break up application into two, top- two sections. Firstly, what we can do as a community right now. And secondly, what you can do as an individual if you want to pursue uh, getting deeply involved in race relations in the future. Did you know that 73% of Aboriginal people in the 2006 census identified themselves as Christian? It's incredible. When I was chatting to Lonnie and Terence, they spoke of the revival that is happening amongst their people. It's so exciting. It gets me so excited. And you should see the excitement on their face when they talk about it. Young people are turning from lives of crime to lives with Jesus. It's just so awesome to watch. We can pray for that, and we're going to pray for that now. But I think, it's although, I think it's also worth looking through our scriptural lens that we're called to repent of sin. And we have amazing examples uh, in the past where we saw people who, uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah, we saw the Jewish community pray on behalf of historical sin that went before them. If one of you were to break in and steal my neighbor's possessions today, I would call it a violation of God's law and I would hold you to account, absolutely. We need to accept a very big tension that the land on what we meet right now once did not belong to us. The population of this country used to be 100% Aboriginal people. It is now 3.3%. That is really something worth lamenting. So firstly, as a community, we're going to pray. We're going to shortly pray that gospel communities continue to uh, touch the hearts of First Nations people. But we're also going to acknowledge that there have been sins done in the past that we are direct benefactories of. And as for the things that you can do personally, you can advocate for truth-telling of Australia's history. Start by reading and confronting sins and wins of those who have gone before us. So many people have done so many horrible things. And Christians have done some amazing things. Our brothers and sisters have have been so inspiring for their love for Indigenous Australians. Let's read about them and let's weep with them. You could also support those who are studying from First Nations backgrounds, guys like Lonnie and Terence and their other sisters. We need men and women to be risen up for vocational ministry to take the gospel into communities. Support for Bible translation is always needed. They're telling me, they're telling us that the harvest is so plentiful and the workers are so few. Let's back them in. 
And I think we have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to take the baton of those who have gone before us. Christians have long advocated for and been a friend of Aboriginal Australians. And I think we should continue to advocate where we can, getting involved where we can. And if you're keen to get involved politically, a group like Common Grace is a really good place to start. And lastly, as individuals, I hope it goes without saying that there is no room for racism in our church. It's one of those things I hope it doesn't need to be said, but in case anybody was wondering, Scripture doesn't have room for us excluding one another on the base of race. That's the church. See, we have a gift and a challenge of being a multi-ethnic church here at the East, so we must be sensitive to this. We have the opportunity to display the love of Jesus who is for all and in all who call upon His name. Revelation 7 verses 9 to 10 paint the most beautiful picture of what it's going to be like to worship Jesus in the new creation. I'm going to read it. Just have a listen. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you know that the la- notice that the language is all different in these verses? I can't wait to stand with the multitude in those praises. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to have a little taste of that right now. I'm going to invite up Beatrice, Lani, Michael and Louisa to join me up on stage. Uh, They're going to help me pray. And the reason why I'm getting these guys up is because we're going to get a glimpse of what Revelation chapter 7 looks like. We're going to pray together. And as we do so, you're going to hear five different languages, including English. See, Australia Day is a hard day. I'll get you guys to line up. Australia Day is a hard day, and it's been a hard day for a lot of years. And I keep on going back and forth whether we should celebrate it or not. But one of the things that's really helped me think about it is a prayer that a man named Peter Adam has written. Now, Peter, he's come and he's he's, uh, preached here a couple of times. He actually received his Order of Australia for working with Indigenous peoples. And he's written a really helpful prayer that says, sorry but praise for gospel work in Indigenous communities. If you can pray this with us, we'd love for you to pray it. Now, we're going to hear many different languages and you're obviously not going to be able to understand a lot of them unless you're incredibly talented. So the English words are going to be up on the screen behind us. Uh, But would you please pray with us now? We're going to kick off with Beatrice. If you guys want to step forward. (laughs) 包括澳洲这片土地，美丽富饶的山峦、平原、河川、小溪和海洋、极各种飞禽走兽、海中生物都是你手所造。我们感谢你。We praise you for the peoples who you first entrusted this land. Each one of them made in your image and loved by you. We thank you for the careful for their careful management of the land for the strength of their communal life and the riches of their culture. We lament the damage done by them by the arrival of the British in 1788 for the loss of life, land, language, livelihood, culture and the damage done to structures of their communities. 
we grieve the sins of coveting, theft and murder committed by the invaders and the failure to recognise the God-given dignity and rights of Indigenous people. Λυπούμαστε για την ζημιά που έγινε σε αυτή τη γη από την απιστία, την κακή διαχείριση, την αλλοξία και την αγνία. Προσευχόμαστε ώστε οι εχωροί να βρουν τη θέση που τους αξίζει ως πολίτες και να ακουστεί η φωνή τους στην κοινωνία μας. Προσευχόμαστε να μας βοηθήσετε να καλύψουμε τη χάσμα την παροχή υγιής εκπαιδεύσεις, στεγάσεις, δικαιοσύνης και την ευκαιριών. Σας δοξάζουμε για τους χριστιανούς που ήρθαν στην Αυστραλία, που συνέχισαν την πίστη τους, που προσεύχηκαν τη διάβασαν τις φιλίες τους, που έζησαν για να σας τιμήσουν, που αγάπησαν τους γειτονές τους, που φύτεψαν εκκλησίας, και εργάστηκαν για την ανάπτυψη του Ευαγγελίου στη δική τους γενιά και για τις επόμενες γενιές. Την οτέντα κουνεύα τέντιβέσαι μουνά Τζέσου, βακασίκα μουνό μου Αυστραλία, βακαμίριρα κουτζόρα, γεζιζάρουα ζεμουνό. Βακαβα ριριτήρα, βακαβα τζίτισα σόκορα τέντι Τζέσου Κρίστου. Waka pinduruza baiberi, kuchiruzi chavarons wisisa, uye nekuba wona sevanu panevanu. Pamsoro pajo, tinobatikana nejavaka kanganisa, nekupaza munguwa yekubata basarao rakanaka iri. Tinokutenda inekutu Australia, yaka vurira nzira, nekupa, pekutangira kune zizarwa, shakabfura, uye nejicha tevera, zinova kune nyika, zakasia na siyana. Tinokuremekezai, Nekuti, Vakawanda, Vakashika, Vasinachava Nacho, Kanapekutangira, Asi Vachanga Mitswa, Vakapiwa, Ukana, Vekudziza, Nekushanda, Zirizinu, Rakavanduza, Upenuelu. Bitte vergib Australien für unsere Gier, unser Lob von Geld. Sachen und Glücklichkeit und unsere Verlässigkeit von dir, dein Sohn und deine Gnade. Bitte vergib unsere Gemeinden und mach uns neu, dass wir ein Licht für dich sein können und in unserem Land. Dass wir dich dienen können und dass viele deine Gnade in Christ finden können. God, please forgive us. Uh, please give us good government, wise policies, justice and equality, and the ability and wisdom to tackle major issues long-term of our day. Please rid us of corruption, incompetence, selfishness, greed, inequalities and self-indulgence. Help us to contribute generously with our neighbouring nations and our world. Please have mercy on all Australians and teach us to trust in your Son and our Saviour, to love you, to love our neighbours. May your name be sanctified in Australia and your kingdom come and your will be done. For Christ's sake, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.